I'm so popular. Today on the show, we are discussing Sons and Lovers, the absolutely phenomenal, perfect novel by one of my favorite authors ever, D.H. Lawrence. And I'm joined by a very special friend who I recently met in person for the first time. Who are you? Oh, I am Bill. And it's uh, good to be talking with you about this wonderful author. Hey, Bill, what are you doing? I'm uh, drinking some coffee right now. I've got got my dog behind me. I'm taking care of my dog, and I am thinking about what's a foreign, you know? What's a what's a foreign? What's a sovereign? What's a sovereign? What's a guinea? Uh, that's one thing I always um, run up against when I'm reading these uh, early modern English novels. They have so many esoteric currencies that I never hear about anymore. Absolutely. Um, All questions I personally don't even have answers to myself, but... A, a shilling. A shilling. Like, what's a, what's a shilling? And you always get the sense that it's a lot of money. And it's... um, It, it, it makes it more difficult to, um, to figure out, like, uh, what the exact class position is here. Um, I, I always thought about that when I was reading Thomas Hardy, especially, because there are so many descriptions of, like, precise numbers of money, especially, like, in Jude the Obscure, and it's all quite above my head. But I do have to ask you as well, why do you follow me, Vil? Oh, because you are good at talking about art. And <gasps> oh, that's that's a, that's a that, that, that's, a, that's a skill more people should have because everybody's giving their takes. But um, a, a, a relatively high number of people don't actually talk about art when they talk about art. They talk about um, themselves or they talk about some kind of uh, trite political or moral metaphor that they boil mm-hmm. the book down into. And you can actually talk about the forum and the content itself and more people should be able to do that. Well, that's a very sweet thing to say, but I absolutely wouldn't have any of those skills if it weren't for D.H. Lawrence because his book of criticism on all sorts of like English literature, he is one of the great literary critics of all time as well, which he's undersold for, but... um, I, yeah, being able to talk about art, as we kind of discussed on Sirens earlier, is a fleeting quality in the contemporary human being, and I feel a severe lack for it. And even just reading Lawrence and spending time in his absolute untarnished talent is complete literary perfection and force of will. It does give you a longing, tragic feeling for a time when people were more literate, which appears to be... Um, maybe the last time was in the 70s, and since then it's all been downhill, but um, at least we still yes. have these books to smile at and look at their ghosts with. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I, I do believe there is a future for literature. I, I even believe there's a future for the novel. Me too. It, 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 starts, it starts here, you know. Um, the podcast is the modern-day salon 
you could say. Uh, I'm actually glad you brought this up. And I've been thinking a lot about this recently because, um, you know, sometimes me being myself, I look at all the things I do, which is like drag as art, podcasting as art, my writing, blah, 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 like video production, blah. It's like you forget that actually basically all of these incredible English authors from the early 20th century were also doing the same thing. Um, you know, like D.H. Lawrence was writing obscene amounts of poetry. He was painting, the American Henry Miller was painting, taking photos, uh, writing his um, essays of criticism and his literature as well. And it's easy to forget that actually there's always been a culture for dipping your feet into too many things. Um, The phrase jack of all trades, master of none is a lie that has been introduced to culture to discourage you from expressing yourself in every limitless potentiality you have. I love that. I love so that. I'm a master of all things, loser at none. Um, my heart has been broken, and it was a complete coincidence that I chose to read this this summer, Sons and Lovers. But basically, um, since university, I have made it my mission to read at least one great Lawrence novel every year. I was personally introduced to him um, through kind of obscure means, my friend Emily Mason, who's one of my best friends and uh, really helped me plunge into the habit of artful living, uh, she had been reading Lady Chatterley's Lover and recommended Lawrence to me, and I picked up a copy of one of his more obscure works, The Lost Girl, and immediately fell in love with him, and since then I have read uh, that, I've read his book of criticism, I have read... Uh, the Rainbow and its sequel, Women in Love in Secession. I've read Lady Chatterley's Lover. I've uh, read St. Mar, as well as some of his other short novels. And uh, Sons and Lovers is one of his foundational pieces, but I only got around to it this year. But, Ville, I'm very curious about yes. your exposure and your affection for Mr. Lawrence. How did you come into contact oh, with Oh, well, my first exposure to D.H. Lawrence was actually in a 10th grade English class with this teacher who had this uh, this very Wes Anderson dysfunctional uh, relationship with a, another teacher, and they'd been together for years. They never got married. Now he's living on a boat, and uh, he, he had this long hipster beard. And oh, dear. We, we read this, um, we read the short story, uh, Rocking Horse Winner, and uh, what, what uh, stuck out to me in that one is... Um, you know, the, the, uh, have you read that one? It's it's this kind of um, it's it's this kind of a Faustian bargain thing where you have the protagonist is this uh, this boy, um, probably twelve to fourteen, named Paul actually, and he gets a magical rocking horse, and when he he rides the the rocking horse, it um, it allows his family to win when they're betting on horses and. At the end of the book, they um, they win the they win the big uh, the big bet and they make a lot of money, but he dies in the process by uh, riding the horse too hard and um, it's a it's 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 a remarkably um, I don't even want to say sexual, but it's it's this very animalistic description of him riding this horse and it's um it's it's it's, it's very uh disturbing and surreal um at the end but it's uh it's so- somehow recognizable at the same time 
Not the first nor last time that he gets horny for horses. Uh, yes. Yeah, St. Mar is really <laughs> wild. Like, But this is all to say, I think, that he has such a talent for expressing the carnality of human beings in a way that is both intensely familiar and something that you've always known in yourself and yet something you've never been able to articulate. Um, his literature is shocking for how intensely deep it goes into the psychology of its characters. It becomes so embedded in the emotionality of its casts that it often becomes unwieldy and psychedelic and unlike anything you've ever read. And I remember being so taken aback and floored by his ability to render the world of sexuality in the way he does. And it felt like he was summoning like this uh, primordial mist that had existed in me and my own uh, misplaced horniness and finally putting it into language for the first time in a way that felt meaningful. His prose is very precise, very stylistically sophisticated, but the feeling you get from it is atavistic, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's uh, interesting to um, think about um, the way he relates to Henry James to me, because oh, right. Henry, J- Henry James is in some way um, his complete opposite, you'd think. His novels are about these these turning gears within gears and this this massive steampunk machine of social relations and you go through every possible permutation of the mental states of people relating to each other and every um every variant of that relationship and it remains completely cerebral the entire time um nobody really seems embodied or if they are embodied it's sublimated so deeply into their thoughts that um they're not aware of it. And D.H. Lawrence, um, he also has this uh, systemic view, but he applies it to the senses. He applies it to uh, the, uh, the, 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 the sexual animus or whatever. And you get, um, you get, you get, uh, you, you get the opposite effect uh, through the same means, mm-hmm. I think. Um, because you, 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 you do have here, like, um, Yep, okay, like, um, you have, like, Paul's relationship with Miriam, and it's a will-they-won't-they, and then you have his relationship with Clara, and it's a will-they-won't-they. And then you see how that plays out in both scenarios, um, in this this very um, Henry James, like, um, social permutation kind of way, but you only get, um, you only get glimpses, I I think, into their thought process. You only, um, only to understand how they um, how they how they feel and the uh, the positions of their bodies and the uh, the 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 world around them the uh, the, mm-hmm. the city and the countryside you could you, you could say that um, if Henry James is this uh, this gigantic uh, machine of turning gears um, Lawrence is more like um, like a tree that's spreading acorns and then dying and new trees growing from the soil of the dead tree. It's very beautiful and it's very lofty. Um, But the thing is, is that he has like such a, like, he has such an earthiness about him and he's like so like rooted into flesh, like you said, unlike James, that I honestly think his literature is very approachable. And um, Mm -hmm. even for listeners that might feel like daunted by like early 20th century 
you know, writing that is very philosophical. I think anyone can read him, and it's so easy, and even when it is, like, dense and thick with information, it feels so based in the animal element of human beings that I honestly feel like almost anyone with reading comprehension could get through these books and take a lot away from it. And I wish more people did, because Lawrence has a very complicated relationship with mass culture. Um, Basically, he was somewhat famous in his time, uh, and then only kind of became famous again for the censorship of his uh, novels, and um, the final publication of Lady Chatterley's Lover, and the release of it was kind of a turning point for English culture, as well as that internationally in the standards and ethics of what is allowed to be printed. Um, The film adaptation of Women in Love, directed by Ken Russell and written by I'm So Popular Greek god pantheon all-star Larry Kramer, also kind of reintroduced him to culture and made him an academic darling for about 10 years uh, from the late 60s into the late 70s. And since then, he's kind of vanished again and is now looked at as um, sort of an immature, adolescent, undercooked, and overly sexual object of fascination and is not taken very seriously at all. Um, And that's another special point of Polya is that she's always known him to be special and includes him in uh, so much of her criticism. And it really breaks my heart that he kind of um, gets viewed that way because these books are so full of um, true ways of living and are so important to me that it really hurts me that they don't have the place and culture that they deserve. So few I people re- I know no. have ever read him, really. I didn't read him for the longest time because actually, actually because of Nabokov, because he has this uh, he has this little list of authors and his opinions of them, and I didn't read any author that he disliked. So I've never read Dostoevsky, and I um, I've, I've come to realize um, his um, his opinion, which is just like um, the mainstream at the time, that uh, Lawrence was a pornographer, is um, so, so some kind of um, some kind of like weird like um, personal thing he has. Um, he, he he liked Ulysses, and um, that's a that's an interesting um, thing to think about. The Ulysses came out um, eighteen ninety nine, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Lawrence came after him. Ulysses is. Um, much um, at least at least as uh, directly sexual as this, but um, Lawrence Lawrence uh, doesn't get the pass. Um, James Joyce did, I guess. It's funny um, too because Lawrence yeah. doesn't describe people pissing almost ever. I can't recall any yeah. instances of piss, but you get that yeah. in Ulysses. I think multiple times, if I'm not mistaken. Multiple times. Yep. Yeah. So it's like. Whenever people decry something as pornography as a means of diminishing its artistic merit, it means that they're bitter about something. And every single time that anyone has criticized my show for discussing um, hedonistic art or pornographic art, and I'll say it out loud, fuck you, Basil, for making fun of me for talking about bestiality Japanese porn, because guess what? All the whenever someone wants to diminish you, they just call your shit porn and they run away. And Nabokov will inevitably feel this if he if his ghost had survived into the twenty first century, because now people are so stupid that they think Lolita is porn. So yep, yep. you know he got what he deserved, and I've always found him to be personally really uppity and obnoxious and a pretty bad literary purveyor. 
Um, I think he is a great writer. I love Lolita. I love Ada. I love um, a book that no one has ever read except me and Utada Hikaru, which is Laughter in the Dark. Um, oh, I love that one. It's amazing. Yep. And that's even worse than anything that fucking Lawrence d- did. So everyone just has sour fucking grapes about D.H. Lawrence. They're mad that he had a successful marriage and was able to um, live successfully as a homosexual and feel uh, great loves for men and extreme uh, deep feelings for people of his own gender while also still being a successful traveler, writer, scorned artist, and a pariah um, while still churning out, until his death, perfect art forever. And everyone Mm. is doomed to be bitter about it unless they can just accept the fact that Lawrence is fucking amazing. Um, I do not want to hear the comment that all of his books are the same, which I have heard many times. (laughs) I've heard from many people that they think that all of his books say the same thing. That is not true. They all exist in an oeuvre in which every book develops upon itself and elaborates the themes into new directions until you're at the end of his career and it becomes deeply political. So I just don't... It depresses me the way that he sits in culture today and the fact that I wasn't introduced to him in my English survey also pisses me off when we did an entire history of all English literature in history. The fact that we didn't even hear anything about him and the rest of the modernists just... Modernism is so scorned and frowned upon and it pisses me off. Modernism is fucking great and I love it. All of it. Not all of it. Some of it's annoying, but it's great, generally. It is. Um... The frankness still has a capacity to shock today. Absolutely. I I was so shocked reading this book that many times I had to close it and put it down and take a breath. And I have had that experience with almost all of his books where he says something so true or so outright, something that you've kind of known inquitly but have not been able to put into words yourself. And him just fucking putting it on the page... Uh, and then moving on immediately without elaborating is breathtaking. It has the same effect as the Perfume Nationalist, which also says the mm. unspoken comments of society uh, without having to justify them, and it's more true because of it. Yes. Eat that. The, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know if it's the sexual content per se. Um, it's, it's more the, uh, the emotional violence um, mm. that undergirds all of it. Um, and, um, obviously, which, which we'll get to this, this all, uh, radiates from the mother, um, and you, 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 you have, um, every woman, and, um, he, he does it, he does this very delicately. I, I, I don't think it's like, um, edible in any kind of cheap way. Um, I don't think, I don't think that the, um, this this might be a controversial take. I don't think that the woman Paul uh, falls in love with are necessarily his mother, but they remind him of her in various ways. And um, he's able to do that without um, any any kind of um, Jordan Peterson um, bromide um, being able to place into it. He doesn't he doesn't do the devouring mother. Or anything like that. She actually um, comes across as uh, a fairly reasonable person for the most part, mm-hmm. um, and of course he's um, he's he's basing her off of his own mother, and which uh, comes through in the text. You can you, you can tell 
uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, affection in the way uh, Gertrude right as uh, is rendered, and even 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 despite that, um, the, despite the, despite her uh, her relative um, lack of um, like lack of uh, directly depicted neuroses, it's um it's 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 still this this hell of like um, repressed. Uh, repressed something i don't i don't i don't know what the word i'm going for no but i I know what you mean and i also possession definitely makes sense to me but it's like he can lawrence can be intimidating sometimes because um the portraits aren't black and white these people are like wet liquid human beings emotionally who experience so much input and then their output doesn't always make sense necessarily until maybe later in the text or after um more critical appraisal in the reader and it's so beautiful to me that these people exist in such fullness but it can be difficult not to have people behaving archetypically and to contradict themselves and you can hold them uh, both in contempt and in empathy at the same time like in women in love especially which is very challenging um, there are so many philosophical roles that each character plays and you can easily hate or loathe or empathize or respect them all in the course of a single line of dialogue. And that it just goes to show at what an incredible, realistic um, painter he is, despite the fact that these novels would not really be described as realistic by most people. But um, to introduce Sons and Lovers, uh, this is a very, very early book from him. And It's one of his most uh, autobiographical, people like to say. As you mentioned, it has a a pretty severe and full-body depiction of his uh, mother as kind of the central fugal force behind all of the plot and emotional residue here. But beyond that, it is a novel that um, completely summarizes the ancestral line of families as they erupt into sexual neuroses in their offsprings, and it traces the uh, minute steps in which the actions of a mother in her youth um, can affect and shape uh, the actions of their child. But even beyond that still, it is a totally cosmological, space-defying, ultra-warped, like sensual all matter every atom in the entire universe at once depiction of what it means uh to fall in and out of love and to feel desire it follows um the moral family and uh it begins with the mother figure as you said what's her name in this i already forgot gertrude Okay, so Gertrude, um, it begins with this very lovely, like, kind of 50-page introduction of Gertrude. Um, I was very deeply moved by these early scenes of her youth. Yes, there's there's a sense of uh, reticence around what's actually going on with her and her relationship with Walter that I think is... um... But for, for one thing, for one thing, it's a way of um, very slowly leading you into the sexuality. It's um, it's it's, it's very backloaded with um, overt sexual stuff. But um, early early on, you um, you you do get the sense that um, their relationship is um, 
their 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 love, uh, the love of Paul, Paul's parents, is uh, is mainly sexual, and you only get this through uh, through dancing, through how Walter's a great dancer, and that's that's just um that's that, that, that's that's probably the way Gertrude would think about it to herself because this this is a this is a very uh, like prim and proper lady, and. Even even through even through that you, you you do get the sense of this um this 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 kind of, this kind of like throbbing animalistic desire and mm. it it is um it is very moving yes it's fascinating because um basically we are introduced immediately to this mother figure of Gertrude uh, in her youth before any of the plot has occurred and like you said she is swept off her feet by Walter Morrill who is this. Um, coal mining gruff man with a big chest because uh, D.H. Lawrence loves to describe the full-bodied bosoms of men <laughs> as Tolstoy also likes to do. Um, mm -hmm. Very horny, but she is... Uh, in her person, she was rather small and delicate with a large brow and dropping bunches of brown silk curls. And when she is kind of taken away by this newfound feeling of desire, it sets off this horrifying chain of events for the rest of the novel but you kind of completely understand her affection for walter like i wasn't sure if you would feel kind of swept away by him and understand the impulse but like did did it make sense to you or did you read it with bitterness um in, in intellectually i can see how this relationship worked um, and then I can I can also see at the same time how it's immediately going to fall apart and turn into hell for her. And well, that's the heterosexual yeah. man's dilemma yeah. is that they can't <laughs> see them. They can't look in the mirror like they're vampires and don't have a reflection uh, because beautiful men who are beautiful for their lack of awareness are complete, chaotic, violent tornadoes who wreak havoc um, by simply existing in their own element. And it's so easy to be sucked into that whirlwind where someone is physically appealing, um, they express interest in you, and you feel like you're being included in this masculine tornado for the first time, and you also have the idea in your heart that you can conquer it and live with it, uh, and you don't have any idea that it's going to rip you apart, which has always been the case for me. Mm. Men cannot realize this, and only men who love men know this, which is why D.H. <laughs> Lawrence is gay. <laughs> I, uh, generally speaking, he has um, he has very little internality in the text. He's he's a body. Right? He's one of he's... the few characters who I believe is almost given zero interiority whatsoever. Well, he's summed up um, pretty early on in the book, and I, I actually sent you this passage. Um, I don't think I could find it right now, but. Um, he had killed the god in himself. That's that's uh, Lawrence's conclusive statement on Walter pretty early on. He's just um, he 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 thinks he thinks he's enjoying life. I think. I mean, he's he's going out with his friends. He's drinking, but he's uh, deeply unhappy, and he's not aware of this. And that's that's why he's like uh, this this fucking. Um, terrifying alcoholic for the first hundred pages and it, i i like how that just that just kind of cuts off abruptly mm -hmm. like he's, he's 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 this terrifying figure in their youth and then he's he's just this sad old man for the rest of the book and 
it's it's it, it, his effect on him is is just more this this shadow on his wife's life, and well, he doesn't he doesn't really you know. It's completely terrifyingly true because it is I think the way that most people deal with violent fathers is that mm-hmm. they suffer from a impenetrable horror of them throughout their youth and, and until their adulthood, and then once they become physically less threatening, you're kind of just stuck with that phantom of the effect that they've had. And the nightmare of their behavior and the unconquered masculinity kind of just rots in your soul forever while you have to look on at the pale shadow of who they are. Um, You know, in my own life, I've had lots of trouble with my own father, and um, I'm really surprised at how graceful he's aged and he feels like he still feels like very strong and certain of himself. It it may be a little like gentler, um, but for a lot of people I know who were were, like afraid of their fathers, like they, Hmm. when you, you start developing like a sense of guilt later on, like watching them kind of like wither away and like seeing their power diminish, although their emotional effects still linger in you. Yes. He's, he's separated from everyone else in the book. Just, um, uh, stylistically the, the way mm-hmm. he speaks alone um he's and, the only character that, that has yeah. the the phonetically written english yes and um uh, the, uh, obviously like you can connect that to uh lady chatterley's lover um where the um what what, what, what is he he's like a he's like a park ranger for the estate or something um, yeah <laughs> he's like the groundskeeper he's, he's, he's written yeah he's, he's written like the same way but um it's it's more about it's more about like connecting to this um this this working class other i guess i don't i don't know a better way of putting it um in lady Chatterley's lover here it's um it's this separation that you can just see on the page and it's um like um like like, like the thing with uh florins and sovereign sovereigns and shillings and all of that it's um it's it, it's like another it's another um historical difficulty um people would have with the text is um is trying to hear this um pro- probably now like on um, pretty faded away like english accent with lots of like these and those um oh yeah I can hear it in my head sometimes. it's so cute to me the way yeah. that they they have to like specify like thou it like reminds me of like formal japanese and the idea that that ever exists in the english language is so cute and charming to me I, I I think it's tragic. We've lost the thou. I I I think the language is degraded a lot, and it it needs to be, it needs to be brought back to um, an Elizabethan level of uh, complexity and glamour. And we should um, we should we should dispense with uh, things like standardized spellings because they're they're just limiting the language. And we should um we we should we should go back to a more like um, impressionistic grammar and a more impressionistic. Um, way of uh, spelling things based on vibes, and you 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 kind of, you kind of like um, see the death of like um, this this old this old world of like um, the very very sophisticated very um, earthy English. Well, it's um, funny too because this, like yeah. I feel like um, the the ache of modernity, which was like the big theme of Thomas Hardy that Lawrence obviously inherits and expands upon a lot in his <laughs> later fiction. It's not so present here in the way that it is in a lot of his other books this is probably the least politically minded of all of his novels it doesn't have so much of the horror of the coal mines and of like the proletariat struggle under the 
adaptation of machinery into society. And because it is like a little less cooked through and it's more underbaked than the rest of his oeuvre, it does feel like more focused on the humanity. And I think that yes. is for the book's benefit. The, the political is like a very incidental. Well, that's the, it's the, and that's you the can, worst part of Lady Chatterton's yeah. Lover is the prattling on inside that fucking house that I still have nightmares about <laughs> thinking about the interiors of it while they're just like bickering with each other about like the suffering of minors. I can't take it. Yeah, you, you get like you get like one line about how like, Walter's um, complaining about how his his son's basically effeminate he's his son doesn't want to work in the coal mines and then gertrude is horrified by the idea and then walter just says like oh well me i started working in the coal mines when i was 11 mm-hmm. and that's that's all that's all you get like um for the horrors that he was he was this uh this child laborer um but that wouldn't that wouldn't be the way and anybody experiences reality you know people people don't experience reality as this political allegory so it's not appropriate or uh, true to um, ha- have it in the text um, yeah. as, as a predominant element. Yeah, something so, about his like youthful naivete in this book makes it... I, I still think that maybe The Rainbow is my favorite thing I've ever read from him, but I mm-hmm. also think that... I, I think I would recommend and I appreciate this some in some ways a little more, like specifically because he's not so preoccupied with the conclusions he's come to about the world. And so when you are not having to spend so much time contemplating the reality of British politics in the early 20th century and you're spending more time uh, dealing with like their understated erotic um, sensibilities, you know, it really does become more human, like you said. But um, basically for... The early onset of the book, um, we are introduced to that great horror of Gertrude's marriage and this uh, monster that she's wedded. She uh, sires for three children who we are procedurally introduced to. And I believe the first is William. Yes, William. So William is the older son. And because Gertrude has experienced this psychic calamity of uh, surrendering her gentle, beautiful life to the violence of the masculine. Um, she immediately starts overparenting her children, and it leads to uh, deep cataclysmic after effects with uh, the raising of their son, William. Yes. William's following his mother around at fairs. He's try- kind of, um, he's trying to uh impress her with his his childish whimsy which is um a, a very complicated thing when a child becomes self-aware of their innocence as a child and kind of uses it um to fix the marriage mm-hmm. i think I, I think there was a little bit of that going on he was the he was the golden boy and he continued to be the golden boy until it killed him and yes you um you uh you you get this sense that he's he's doomed because she loves him so much right and yeah he, when in trying to kind of cope with the smothering love and the disaster that brought him onto earth which is the ill-fated um doom that uh, she spells by marrying this man in the first place uh he kind of takes the philosophical approach in that he will treat women sort of senselessly and without uh, deep emotional impact and so it's not 
feminist, but it is sensitive towards women, I think. And William's um, kind of, like, whoring and his, like, um, retreat to city life where he starts um, playboying around, you can kind of easily see, like, how um, his relationship is so intense with his mother that he has to abandoned all seriousness when it comes to women in his own sexual life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that leads to him uh, becoming engaged with uh, this, 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 uh, this, this very um, spiritually flimsy woman who's, who, who kind of um, seems to suck the life out of him um, by being uh High maintenance, and, uh, <laughs> needing lots of like pretty dress. Do, do, doesn't he like buy her panties or something? Yeah, I believe there's like yeah. a scandalous passage in which he's like yes. selecting, you know, unmentionables. Unmentionables, yes. And this is this is the start of something interesting. I notice where um, he's he seems to like he's engaged with her. He's engaged to her um, because he feels sorry for her because her parents died or something and. At the same time, he seems to hate her, mm. and his mother. Um, his mother really hate, really, really like is completely fine with yeah. her. Compl- completely, completely fine with her, despite her. The only time that happens the, in the yeah. book, by the way, because her hatred for every other woman that exists in this novel is like unparalleled. Yes. Yes, and um, I, 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 obviously, you can you can say. Um, this is a. Uh, this is because there's like an absolute like um, contrast between them. Um, Gertrude is, um, as as she says of Miriam uh, later in the text, um, Gertrude is one of the deep ones, right? And um, whoever whoever uh, I, I I can't remember her name, but um, William's fiance is uh, is is complete is completely surface level. He, she's frilly. She's she's frilly, and he he knows what's going to happen to him through her. He he like he like tells his mother at one point like she's she's going to like waste all of my money and then kill me, um, and he, he he says that in front of her, and the mother just has to um, ha- has to defend this uh, this this poor superficial woman who can't read poetry. Yeah, and there's and, kind of like a, a Grecian like tragedy about it because um, William is introduced as the only competent child of the three of them. He's the yes. only one who's um, smart with arithmetic and can kind of make a steady career for himself without having to be uh, sucked into the Chthonian swamp of art as a means of coping with his mother. Uh, he's able so successfully to uh, stomach the sexual after effects of being so intimate with his mother his whole life. Um, that he can focus on things like how to learn how to do bank balancing and finances. And so there's lots of, like, quaint, cute passages, like, describing him, like, doing little math problems in stores that I found very charming. <laughs> but, like, um, it all leads to complete disaster because he fucking dies, like, w- before a hundred pages of the book have passed. Yeah, because he's 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 just... um. He's he's balancing too many checkbooks. He's, but, but what is he doing at the end of it? I I think he's um, he's trying to manage like a, like a shipment of something, and he's he's writing out the copyright, yeah, for it for like a for like a boat, and his letters home just become more and more fevered over time, until he's uh, 
and 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 and, and Pilly's in a sick bed, and then he's he's fucking uh, he fucking passes away uh, because he's men he's men he's mentally over invested in um in providing for everyone, and that 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 leads to this uh, this neurasthenia or something like that, and then he he just um after after that um I. I, I, I think Gertrude mourns him for like a chapter and he's 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 kind of referenced here and there, but he mm-hmm. he just kind of fades out of the text like his father and that's a that's that, that that's a, another uh, very um psychologically astute thing he does without calling attention to it. The way uh, William is just kind of forgotten. Actually actually until um and until um I I think um around like uh, the the last two or three pages of the book, um when they're burying Gertrude, they see like a like a corner of William's casket because he's she's being buried next to him, mm-hmm. and that's that's the last you hear of him. Yeah, it is really beautiful and intelligent not to spend because um, everyone always like, they talks about that when it comes to like popular television. It's like oh, like they don't give characters enough time to mourn, but like when you are being psychologically real, like there is a deep and long lasting period of really indescribable grief but then dead people just kind of become a textural detail of your life and stop having that hovering presence over it and I think that's beautiful too and it also gives the actual text like this weird ghostly effect where like the um since it's all in past tense of course like when you think about like the memories in his existence on the page of like that really demented trip he takes back home for Christmas where they spend time like wasting money making the house frilly with like the Christmas cake and everything um he has that same presence in the reader that I think he does for um Gertrude and Paul which is like as this like faint memory and this like proof of her failure as a woman uh but can never be like said outright and is just kind of this atmospheric haunting death and he's, like you said, it's a Grecian tragedy because he is the family's sole hope. Because um, because the one is a girl yeah. and the other is fucking Paul, so yeah, they're, they're Paul, screwed. Yes. And, and then and then you have you and then you have Arthur Arthur who's like barely mentioned. I forgot he, he existed he's, he's just, even. <laughs> he's just he's just his father basically. And, yeah. Um, if of course, like because you have like um. And this is this is something that I, I think is um is hard to appreciate the how um how economically stratified um England was um it's it's like they're doomed and he was their sole hope um for mm-hmm. making it into the middle class so I, I I think that's something um Amer- Americans um can't really conceptualize no it. they can't Maybe. I did. I only found out that England has, like, a caste system almost virtually comparable to India's, like, this year. And, like, when I read, like, Jude the Obscure for the first time several years ago, I was like, oh, "Oh, this is so funny. They can't, like, trespass beyond their means. I'm like, oh, it's just tragedy. But actually, as it turns out, England has extremely intense, like, economic discrimination and stratification (laughs) beyond all measures of imagination that persists today. <laughs> Jude the Obscure is like um, it's, it's 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 like this cute little like um, allegory, and then suddenly like your like nine year old child is hanging the rest of your children because of Malthusianism. 
Yeah, it's like it's wild, like the horror. But like my friend Maggie is quite northern and like comes from a pretty working class area, like surrounded by a nuclear power plant. And there, I remember very clearly, she and another I'm so popular guest, Meg, uh, both interacted. And and Meg is like very, very like Queen of England to me. And when you actually watch English people interact, like they absolutely have like class like tenure with each other and some people they change their accents um yep. in order to appeal like appear more one or the other and they put on little shows to appeal more earthy it's it's really wild didn't know about it just learned about it the world is very broad and full of new facts <laughs> yeah it's um And, and, and um, like you said, it's it's allowed to just be this this um, this fact of life. It, it it never it never turns into this political allegory. Even when you have things that would be yeah, exactly. It's just a fact. Later. Yeah, yeah, it's just a fact. Yeah, because he really does get carried away with it in Lady Chatterley's Lover, which I think is actually mm-hmm. one of his lesser works, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think it's not as exciting. I think it's only famous, um, like. Uh, Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer because it's, of the it's, scandal. It's famous. It's famous for like tying peonies into pe- into people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, it's shocking. And um, here here it's um, it's all it's all very organic when you get to that stuff. And, Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's 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 relatively understated, um, but there's there's a there's enough um. There, there's there's enough uh, mind to it. There's there's enough um, like passion to the preceding. I don't, I, I don't want to say thought processes because mm-hmm. I, I I I said before that's that's something he doesn't um he he doesn't conceptualize of it in that way exactly um the 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 sensory information. Well, yeah, that's a, it's uh, a really it, important like distinction that you're making that I'm. I thought a lot about as well and almost didn't even realize until you brought it up is that it's not thought that's on the page. It's feeling. Um, yes. And it is really remarkable when you do get into the, like a lot of the novel is not pastoral or bucolic, but it is every day. And there's so many details of them walking to like the, however many miles it takes to go to some place or like waiting for the public transportation or organizing dinner or going to work um, and instead of it, you know, being engaged with, like, the manic kind of, like, thought process that Henry James would do, it is just, like, the feelings and the burned-out, like, lingering emotion of whatever's going on in the rest of the novel that kind of sinks into everything. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I live in that world, too. Like, I have a... Obviously, I have, like, um an interior monologue where I'm, like, narrating my life to myself a little bit and imagining things, but um everything is just, like gushing torrential emotion um that pushes my psyche in any which direction and seeing lawrence write that way is just unbelievably powerful yes it's it's the um it's it's the concrete i think it's it's the uh the sensory and the imagistic and he's uh he's he's very good at um placing the characters physically in this um this this uh colliery like mining town landscape mm-hmm. and you get you get the you get the sense of like um what it's what it's like to um to walk like 10 miles a day and then your shoes <laughs> are like covered in mud you 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 understand that without any um 
without having to hear them narrating the thoughts about how caked in mud their shoes are they don't bring it up it's like the it's it's just a fact of life yeah oh that's so beautiful to me and it's all the more impressive because the real psychological meat of the novel starts about a hundred and fifty like almost 200 pages in um there's a chapter which i really love uh titled paul launches into life which is funny because the real book starts with lad and girl love as paul um matures he is the i think the second child right second child yeah Yeah. and paul is probably the most precocious and uh least intellectually capable um and he is like Lawrence and like Lawrence's writing, he is swept away by the world of feeling uh, in the uh, bosom of his mother, who has become even more all-encompassing and Chthonian swallower uh, in the face of mm-hmm. William's death. It leads to Paul having uh, really the only single skill of being able to paint, and his uh, maturation and sexual um, growth into the world is where this novel really starts Um, looking at the train tracks and there's a bunch of people with ominous like flashlights like walking around them very um, very moral in the coal mines mm. <laughs> night I mean, laborers it's like, um, yeah it's, it's, it's like um, probably like the closest thing to, um, to, to, to the uh, the Abrahamic hell is uh, being a coal miner and uh, it's it, it's um so it's it's kind of uh, refreshing. Like uh, Walter never seems to like realize um, that it's uh it's 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 even like a like a bad job. It's just uh it's just natural. He him. doesn't even think twice about it. He just is like, this yeah. is what I do. I have to go drinking with my coworkers now. Yeah. I'm gonna bring all of these terrifying wasted people into the house with the little girl baby, and we're gonna play poker, and I'm gonna yell at you. Yep. Very very Stanley Kowalski as well. Yes. Yes, okay, so here we are. We are in the midsection of the book now, and finally, Paul Morrill, the protagonist, is introduced as the protagonist. It takes 200 pages of ancestral detailing before we get there, which I find um, really funny and delightful. But um, Paul basically does like some ridiculous like clerical job. What is his job exactly? I don't even understand. It's, it's like... Um... It's like um, processing orders for pantyhose or something like that. 
Yeah, and it's like what I do now. It's like it's not real. Yeah. It's like I pick up the phone for like a service yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. He, like, he, he has he has like a like an early 1900s email job. Exactly, and he spends half of his day chit chatting away. He like literally is yep. like doing exactly what I do now. He just like sits around and chit chats with the girls because he's like a fucking gay motherfucker, just like mm. kikiing with the girls all day. Um, and this is where he meets the first of his two love interests, Miriam. Oh, Miriam. I, I, Mir- Miriam is um, mod- mod- the modern-day like heterosexual American ideal, I think. Miriam is the Midwestern goth. Midwest, uh, Miriam is the e-girl. She would have been a Red Scare listener. Okay, but um, I feel just like her. I feel exactly yes. like her. Um, and D.H. Lawrence is so charitable to women, even though he's been yes. regularly described as a misogynist. He gives her an extraordinary amount of interiority and intellectual she, depth. She, she is, yeah, she is all interiority. She's, like, um, like Paula's mother says, she's one of the deep ones. Oh my god, is she ever, and the pain that she experiences, but, um... Yeah. Miriam's chief quality is that she has a beautiful lust for the natural world and being alive. And every page that she is present and allowed to speak, uh, she is singing a gorgeous rhapsody of how much she appreciates the single details on a little flower. Um, She has Paul uh, teach her some French as an excuse just to spend time with him. And it is so unbelievably touching just to watch her in her element looking at flowers and commenting on them and observing the details of a sunset and writing little poems with her speech about how profound she finds it that she gets to witness it with her own mortal eyes i feel just like her yes she is um i don't know if she's the first but um she's the first i've read um incarnation of this um this simultaneously like pagan and christian figure um in lawrence's work where um she's she's very steeped in christian theology but it it leads her to an appreciation of the physical world and steeps um steeps the, the the grass and the leaves on the trees in this 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 kind of like uh material profundity and all around you is heaven and everything is this um this this grand unfinished poem yes um and it sounds kind of cloying and obnoxious but i swear she is really really so so lovely um yes and i also found it beautiful to see such a honest portrayal of unrequited love in this female character I myself, having gone through something similar to this, mm. there's um, a really famous line, I think, where um, Paul and her are talking, and Paul says, you know, he said with an effort, if one person loves, the other does. Ah, she answered, like mother said to me when I was little, love begets love. Yes, something like that. I think it must be. I hope so, because if it were not, love might be a very terrible thing, she said. Yes, but it is at least with most people, he answered. And, um, wow, that's true. That is horrifyingly true and a very frightening precursor to everything else that happens in the book. But um, because it's in their juvenilia and they are so underdeveloped in the world, they're still kind of uh, fleetingly establishing their own philosophies of what love might be. And 
I remember reading that and stopping in my tracks on the train and gasping out loud at the seriousness of that passage. And right, right with those words, you can see the uh, the inevitability of everything afterwards. The and uh, the entire thing. And um, for, for for me, the um, the kind of uh, the the heart stopping moment is. Um, when their families are vacationing on the coast and they're walking together on the beach and the moon is out and they're they're both um they're they're both too in intellectualized and they've they've sublimated too much of their relationship into this um into this quasi spiritual meeting of the souls to uh, to even kiss and I, 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 after after that, um, there there could there could like be no like um, like long term like functional relationship. Everything just becomes like slowly poisoned in that one moment. Well, it's fascinating because the slow motion death. When at first I think that um, Paul's passion for her is pretty sincere, and it really seems like they're going to consummate. And there are many yes. moments where you feel like there is a chance for them, but when they miss that moment of physicality it's like this tiny microscopic fraction that keeps them from being able to truly accept each other and translate their feelings from this like intellectual weepy starry-eyed poetry writing looking at the field infatuation into real serious love and um that's how it happens in the real world is that human beings are in such close contact with each other and have these idealized versions of one another. And then the smallest, most insignificant thing can drive them apart forever. And the most horrifying and truly upsetting part of this book, maybe for me, is watching Paul become slowly cruel to her. Oh, God, yeah. Because when when they when they do eventually make love, there's no spontaneity to it. It's this this horrifically transactional thing that happens. And um, I, I I don't I don't know. Like um, so sometimes I think that um, all love is just is just this like um extraction of like um like mm -hmm. sexual and like spiritual power. And it's uh, it's it's very disturbing to uh, see that rendered so uh, starkly. Well, that's page. what they say. I hope so because if it were not, love might be a very terrible thing. Yes, yep. but it is at least with most people. Um, like you said, absolute curse on the text that becomes truer and truer. The thing that breaks my heart is watching him become a bitch to her during their French sessions when he starts yeah. snapping at her and yelling at her for her mistakes and telling her to just figure it out. It's so cruel, and... That's that's his father coming out. Yeah, it's definitely his father coming out, and, like, when you realize that you have personally failed as well as your lover has failed to live up to the idealized, I you know, form that you imagine for the two of you, that is what people start doing, is they start becoming cold and mean to each other, and... My heart just broke every fucking page as Miriam just had to suffer the brunt of this as it made her inversely try harder to win his affection, fail all the more because of it, and I just can't believe I fucking read this book in July. My own, like, love exploded in August, and every detail of it was right there, and every single thing happened to me, too! 
Yeah, and um, their their relationship reminds me of some things in my life, um, like uh, quite quite directly. And um, yeah, it's um it's it's also interesting uh, to think about how um, the basic situation they have um, is um like this this uh, this pastoral romance between these two like spiritually charged like virginal teenagers like that's that's the uh that's like the reactionary fantasy mm -hmm. of the world before modernity and you you see that even there um nothing's really changed like people um in and in, in this most like um supposedly innocent situation are, are still uh cruel and conniving and um transactional with one another and um yeah, you, you you get the you get the sense um, maybe that it's um, um, if it if it, if it turns out like this even even within these social parameters then um, this that this, this this like um, this like Arthur, Arthurian romance um, idea of love this uh, it could never be true. No, it could never yeah. be true. Um, because because of your mother. Because of your mother, yeah. Because we haven't even <laughs> mentioned that this is kind of like the inverse of the initial um, failure of the mother that we saw with um, William's, you know, slow motion death over time is that Paul here kind of takes the reverse action and decides that he's going to embrace the sentimentality and cloying nature of love that he knows um, from being coddled by his mother. And when he tries to apply it and commingle it with sexuality and, uh, you know, human passion, it all erupts in a complete breakage of all concept. Um, that's fucking disturbing. Like, yes, I I've heard this a lot from Japanese gay men in particular. It's that they view like sex as a kind of like biting, cruel and evil. And they, they don't mm. like doing it with a lot of their partners because of that association. And I think that's the case for a lot of contemporary men is that they really cannot divide the, the harshness of the libido with you know true love um and you know i know andrew dworkin is uh, a little bit overhyped now but one of the most moving mm -hmm. things i've ever read in my entire life is uh, in her book intercourse um a chapter that literally i've never heard anyone talk about and everyone just fucking ignores is the chapter about communion where she writes that sex is supposed to be a triumph over the innate evil and violence of it and creating true love and empathy by disturbing the natural order of things and turning sex into an act of love and it's one of the hardest things i think for human beings to do uh for straight yes. people it seems close to impossible and i do not know yep. um yep. what to tell all of you except that i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no advice for you <laughs> suck my dick it, i guess it is, it is what <laughs> like, it is you um you, you just gotta fucking write books about bourgeois adultery between bloggers and dogs that's that's my route yeah you'll get there and when it's published you know there. that'll that'll teach someone something and hopefully one day people will be able to talk about it on a podcast a hundred years later and um yes. you know be moved that's, about that's, that's the ideal that's, that's the, ideal. the ideal i agree um this climax is in um really truly one of the most disturbing passages of literature I have ever read uh, which is aptly titled The Defeat of Miriam yes. <laughs> his chapter titles really tickle me um, yes. and this also has, oh, I'm just going to read it <clears throat> this is what Paul says to Miriam when he's just raping her heart into a million pieces, mm. he says 
you don't want to love. Your eternal and abnormal craving is to be loved. You aren't positive, you're negative. You absorb, absorb as if you must fill yourself up with love because you've got a shortage somewhere. <gasps> and he, this, is, this is him speaking to his mother through her, I think. And um, th th this, is, uh, this is getting to something I've um, gone back and forth on a lot. Um, whether Miriam's love for Paul uh, at all... Um, resembles his mother his mother's love for mm -hmm. him because um M M miriam definitely um she worships paul in a sense you know she lis lis she listens to him uh rant about like um spirituality and art for um hours at a time she mm -hmm. she loves she loves his art and she wants to um she, she wants to see him succeed as an artist and um you, you you get the you get the sense like um she truly wants the best for him like uh she she would have been his Vera maybe but um right his his mother his mother just hates her and that, <laughs> she, that's 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 like the from the, the from the onset her. she fucking hates that bitch yeah. every single thing she has to say is like cutting and nasty and rude by like the most like frustrating way possible like where she says well I know you love her oh it's unstomachable yeah. and okay that's something I thought. Sorry, not to, you know, get too contemporary with it, but, okay, the Barbie movie, right? There's mm. that whole passage where it's, like, them all, like, satisfying their male lovers by listening to them play the guitar and talk about their interests and what have you. And if it were not for kind of, like, the sensitive to men's feeling, like, strange irony that's very unique to that film, um, I would find that to be very offensive. Because... Yes. It is lovely to be so infatuated with someone that you can listen to them prattle on about their stupid interests forever. Yep, absolutely. And, I want um, someone to feel that way about me. <laughs> That's so bad. Yeah. I want to it's, be um, loved. I, that fucking quote scares me so much <laughs> because I feel like it is just calling me out. You absorb, absorb, absorb as if you must fill yourself up with love because you've got a shortage somewhere. I don't know what my shortage is, but I just want someone to listen to me prattle. And it's it's a uh, her uh, her hatred for Miriam is kind of this uh, this central mm. inexplicability uh, in the text, and there's there's so there's so many different reasons you can think of, but you you never know what exactly it is. Is, is it because she would take? Uh, that Miriam would take um, Gertrude's place as uh, the woman in Paul's life is—is is it because she actually thinks that um, he would uh, she, she would distract him from his own sense of um, artistic independence, which I, I don't really think is the case. Um, is it—is it, is it mm. something else? Is—is is, is it just some some kind of like um, like deep, like uh, wordless resentment born out of um, a, a, a sense of like recognition of? So something in her. Um, I'm still thinking about that. Yeah, I think I I'll probably be is. pondering this relationship forever because I think you'd have to read this book four or five times before you could even see with total clarity what Lawrence wants to express in every detail because it's so naughty and weighty that even picking yeah. apart like the simplicities of it is kind of a Herculean task. Um but like I mentioned earlier, he Lawrence is so sensitive to Miriam, and I feel like he 
empathizes and, and feels a lot like her because even though we have those scenes of Paul just savaging her, he always gives room for her sensitivity and reaction to it. And um, th- this one quote really stuck with me um, following their, their breakup. Um, he writes, Miriam brooded over his split with her. There was something else he wanted. He could not be satisfied. He could give her no peace. There was between them now always a ground for strife. She wanted to prove him. She believed that his chief need in life was herself. If she could prove it, both to herself and to him, the rest might go. She could simply trust to the future. And it's, of course, a little foolish, and Lawrence knows it to be so, but even after you've lost all hope, you can still believe yourself to be the savior of your love through your sheer undying passion for them. And and then you get... The, the the way the way the, the hatred's summed up in one one of the most horrifying um, lines of dialogue in the book it's um I, I will get to Clara but it's um mm-hmm. it's Clara's um, discussion with his mother and she just says what I hate is the bloodhound quality in Miriam oh. brutal. I remember that line. I didn't even mark it down, and I remember it like I just read it yesterday, even though I read this like two months Ugh. ago because. What makes Miriam so special and why I was rooting for her so much is because of that, quote, bloodhound, unquote, quality. Like, ugh. I, you can see also why Gertrude would think that because her heart is so closed to love after her own experience with it, that intensity and passion to her is totally evil and suspect. But it's a different kind of passion yeah. than what she knows, too. It's like a more pure-hearted one and... Um, even when, like, Miriam is, like, quaking in terror and, like, conducting herself in a lot of fear about having to submit sexually to Paul for that meaningless, terrible interaction, like, yep. all of it um, is something that Gertrude probably would have loved to have experienced herself and never could, and I think she has an envious bitterness about it. Yeah, because there is, um, there, at least there, there could have been a, um, a genuine sexual chemistry between them, but there is a spiritual and an intellectual chemistry that's there that's completely missing from her experience of love. So she can't really believe in it. Well, let's talk about Clara, which is the yeah. second introduced lover. And um, this is sort of a return for Paul more closer to William in a uh, reckless, deeply sexual and little else, um, fiery bond between two people. Um, and in Lawrence's total um, chromatic understanding of human beings, it's like touched with like little instances of intellectualism and sort of like facsimiles of a deeper bond. But uh, the total of their relationship is really just sex. It's it's sex, and he wants to save her from her husband. That's right. Init- initially, he he has this um he has this sense of nobility, and then um of, of course like one one of the th- one of the things you'd immediately conclude from that, which I think is in there, but it's not all of it, is that him wanting to save her from her husband is actually this echo of him wanting to save his mother from Walter and. I, 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 Dawes, Mister Mister Dawes. I can't remember his first name, mm-hmm. but um, he he does he does um resemble Walter in a lot of ways. Um, he doesn't he doesn't have as much of this um this like uh, rustic accent, but it's 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 there. It crops up a few times, a little bit, and 
you get you get the sense he's this he's this womanizer. He um, he cheated on her with his secretary or something. Um, but apart from that, um, they're actually they're actually not that similar at all. Um, mm. Which you find out is as he um, as he learns more about Daz and has this kind of um, weird. Um, you know, it's, it's it's the whole like Hager turning into love thing. Um, maybe maybe um, their uh, their fight scene where he, he starts choking him. That's like. Um, that's that's like the most overt like um homosexual eroticism you get in the book is um them hating hating each other and um wanting to maim one another's bodies and um yes i initially initially um he wants he wants to save clara um because he thinks that she's completely lost mm. and then of course as he learns more about her it's she's more sexually experienced than him she's more mature um she's a a able to actually confront him about um and th th this is something that comes up in ladies lady chatterley's lover too the the idea the idea of uh sex um being this uh this completely impersonal transactional thing where he he's withdrawing into himself uh even when they're making love yes um which which is which is something miriam um would never say um even though she experiences the worst of it um and um yeah in in the end i guess he he saves her by um healing her marriage yeah by letting her go back but yeah, I was quite. I was so heartbroken for Miriam that I was pretty closed off to Clara. Yes. Yeah, I like I've I've mentioned this so many times at this point, but I felt so identified with her that I read like the last um, like two hundred pages of this with a lot of resentment for, um, for Paul. But Lawrence really takes the opportunity to stick a fork into sex and then just start tearing at it. He. Yep. really writes about it in such a really accurate way and for such little context for sexual writing at this time like the way that sex had basically been um depicted like sort of off screen or really um sort of like roundabout he probably had to like look to the metaphysical poets and like pull on that in order f to get any sort of frame of reference but it feels deeply revolutionary and you can understand why it was so controversial at the time um this one passage is a little long but oh my god um it was true as he said as a rule when he started love making the emotion was strong enough to carry with it everything reason soul blood in a great sweep, like the Trent carries bodily its back swirls and intertwinings noisily. Gradually, the little criticisms, the little sensations were lost. Thought also went, everything borne along in one flood. He became not a man with a mind, but a great instinct. His hands are like creatures, living. His limbs, his body were all life and consciousness, subject to no will of his, but living in themselves. Just as he was, so it seemed the vigorous wintry stars were strong also with life. He and they struck with the same pulse of fire and the same joy of strength which held the bracken front stiff near his eyes held his body firm. It was as if he and the stars and the dark herbage and Clara were licked up 
and an immense tongue of flame which tore onwards and upwards. Everything rushed along in living beside him. Everything was still, perfect in itself along with him. This wonderful stillness in each thing in itself, while it was being born along in a very ecstasy of living, seemed the highest point of bliss. And Clara knew that this held him to her, so she trusted altogether to the passion. It, however, failed her very often. They did not often reach again the height of that once when the Peewits had called. Gradually, some mechanical efforts spoilt their loving, or when they had splendid moments, they had them separately and not so satisfactorily. This is probably the best yeah. writing about sex that has ever been done in human history, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's, um, he, he's speaking on a more um, metaphysical, um, abstract level here, but um, it, it, made, it made me think of the, uh, the, the, the first truly shocking thing in uh, Lady Chatterley's letter is um, her Irish, her Irish uh, BF uh, complaining to her that they don't climax at the same time. Um, <laughs> there's, some, there's, some of, there's some of that in there, but um, yeah, the, the um, the the living the, the hens is living creatures. Did that make you think of uh, T. S. Eliot at all? Um, no, but it's an interesting I, comparison. The the love song of Alfred J. Prufrock. I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. That's the first thing um, I thought of reading that passage. I just can't fathom how he came to this conclusion. Uh, it, it's so right. Everything that goes wrong in these kinds of deeply passionate relationships, um, as I know very well, is that you do reach these like perfect ecstasies often and frequently in the early relationship, and then some sort of force drives you apart. And then if there's no intellectual backing or if there's no like emotional core, then it like leads to the acerbic sadness that they both reach by the end of their relationship. Um, but that kind of slow motion mechanical driving a part of them, despite the uh, perfect passion that they once felt, was very upsetting for me to read. Yep. It makes me sick. It makes it's, me uh, sick, too. It says it's true. It's, uh, it's all true. And, um, yeah, I mean... If this novel ended just, um, yeah. you know, a little earlier, this would be such an abominable, evil piece of literature that I would recommend it be burned. Um, yep. it, like, um, along with Nakatani Miki's music, um, some music by Angel Olsen, like, some of it is just so fucking true and hopeless and gives no way out that I do not think that that art should exist. And... Honestly, if it ended with that conclusion of people just being driven apart by their desires and not being able to do anything with it, this would be so fucking wrong and sent up from hell. And even still with the conclusion that it has, that is, it's evil to describe this and I feel like I'm eating the forbidden fruit and being given knowledge that I should not have and I do not want to know these things and I want to go back to being ignorantly blissful. Yes, I um, I was I was dis I was discussing this with Mage yesterday. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, I I just I just told him um outright um I don't I don't really believe in love anymore. And, oh um, no. Yes, I, I, and that's that's so sometimes you just you just say things to people um to hear what they have to say to you because I don't <laughs> I don't know if I truly believe that, but um, I did at the time, and I I go back and forth because, uh, like like I said, like um. 
I, 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 at this time, like, uh, when you think things would be less complicated, um, the, the social parameters here are much, much simpler um, than today. Um, Courtship, oh my and god, and so and easy. Still, yeah, and it's still, it's still like that. It's, it's still what it is, and it's always been that. Um, that's a. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a lot to think about. It is, but the thing is is that this courtship that they go through is so much fucking simpler than what we have to do. Like, they have, like, yeah. so much scheduling for every interaction that they have because it takes time and effort, and so people have to keep their word. You don't exist in the fucking cybernetic abyss of information and being left not, on you're not red. Texts. And there's no text. There's no fucking text. There's people no... wrote each other letters. The, yeah, and exactly. And that's the, just the, effort. The, 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 the women would send their letters with perfume. It was so beautiful. And, and those letters would take deep thought and consideration yeah. from even the simplest minds. I don't mean to like sound like trad or something or like, oh, return. No, but no, I'm no. Just, but yes. I'm bemoaning the tragedy that everything is completely instant and transactional and fleeting in the Instagram, like, erasure fucking Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, like, Evangelion imaginary anti-universe where, like, every message you send just disappears into fiction and there's nothing real except who viewed your Instagram story and who replied, like, it's so rotted and I don't, like, I just, I would even go back to the 90s with a phone call, like, and it's so much simpler, but the thing is, is like you said, it's exactly the same, but now it's worse. And so, to be honest, I do understand a lot of your pessimism, mm-hmm. but I will say, I did feel love, even if it was Miriam's love, and it was wrong, yes. and I, maybe the even, reason... Even, even if it's, like, the most tragic, dysfunctional thing possible, it's still... Well, yeah, and it's like, maybe, yeah. you know, like, if you... So what? Maybe I want to be filled with love because I have some element lacking in me. Maybe I have some Mm. deep loneliness that cannot be filled. But so what? You know, I felt it once and it was complete ecstasy. There's, my hope is that there's something close to it again somewhere. And that's all you can do. Um, And, okay, so this book gets even bleaker, if you can imagine. Clara, he basically gives her up to... Um, not necessarily in this order of events, but to kind of put a cap on it, he gives Clara back to her, um, what, what's the word? Estranged husband who's like, Mm -hmm. what? He's like in a sanatorium and uh, they need each other. He realizes that their sexuality is um, shallow, hollow, and insubstantial and is um, leading them into nothing but more uh, sadness. And um, as if this conclusion is... uh, precisely what Paul needed to start graduating from his own adolescence and from his social development in the world, his mom falls deathly sick with a tumor and then fucking dies over the course of a year. It's brutally rendered. Um, It is one of the longest sequences of the book is just the last um, 50 pages where you have to slowly watch Gertrude die. Yeah, she she uh, she becomes the child he has to take care of, and that's you know that's probably the way it happens. Um, that's yeah. all I've ever heard. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, was this not the most harrowing thing you've ever read? Yeah, it's horrible, and you 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 realize that she starts to fade out of the text for long periods of time as mm-hmm. um, the the main of his focus shifts to these these two women um and then you you realize again that it's 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 been his mother the entire time and 
he he only realizes that again when um when when she when when he real and you you see her become uh, frail and you you see her hair gray over time and uh this this is this is when that all comes back um this this is uh this is this is when the entire entire relationships revealed to be the central thing to his life mm. it's very impactful yeah. too because um if Lawrence didn't have the instinct to give you that introductory passage where we see the initial mistakes in her life and we get this extraordinarily grandiose portrait of her whole life from, you know, virtually the second she's born. And he, he does it even more strongly in The Rainbow when you see multiple generations pass. But here, like, yeah. when it's this one specific character and um, you have your own frustrations with her, like um, Paul, you resent her for a lot of the book and find her irritating, and then she is suddenly taken away from you. And this can happen to anyone um, at any time. You're parent can suddenly grow delusional someone you love dearly can lose their grasp on the world as they become sick and then they just fade away into the void and you get a full guttural and visceral experience of having this character die out of your life the only thing that's ever been similar to me is um Andrew Holleran's novel, The Kingdom of Sand, where uh, the bulk of the book is describing the character's relationship with uh, one gay friend who gets sick and dies uh, by the end. And that's the only time I've ever felt grief as severely for a character as I did for Gertrude. Yes, and he, he has to euthanize her. Oh, man. To make it even worse. Uh, what, what did you think about the fact that um, his sister's there? Because his, his sister is barely... Yeah, we haven't even Present. mentioned her one time, but yeah. uh Yeah, she's quite inconsequential. She she kind of she gets married, doesn't she? Yeah. And she's a teacher. Is she's she's a teacher and then Miriam becomes a teacher. Yeah. Right. So um to me I guess it's kind of like that reminder that this family unit there was a dream for it. Gertrude had spent the great work of her later life trying to salvage what she could out of this sexually disastrous mistake she made as a young woman. Um, and the failure of it and the, you, you know, the fact that it just didn't work out at the end and the kind of, like, quiet, understated, uh, sullen resignment of their family unit uh, briefly rejoining to uh, celebrate her life and bury her is one of the bleaker moments in the book for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, the, the mouth hanging open, that's a painful detail. Oh yeah. That these, really, these long groaning snores, the, the death it's rattle. Very, it's slow. Yeah. It's slow. It's very slow, and you feel every page of it. it. Like I really can't understate how fucking long it goes. It, it yeah. Um, Ellie Wassell talks about during the Holocaust when he wanted his dad to die because of how long it was taking, and how he just wanted to be rid of it after resigning to the fact his dad would die. Um, you get it, reading this. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. you just want the grief and the pain to be over. Yep. But, um, yeah, so you can imagine that, like, if, if Lawrence was a sadist, he would have just ended it with her dying, um, because, uh, Paul goes into total despondency and is 
completely hollow. His interiority is, like, depicted as not present whatsoever. It's very... um, It's psychedelic to read how empty he is after we've been so close to him for much of the book. It's quite shocking. Uh, And he can't draw. He can't draw. He can't paint his stupid little paintings. I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's just it's just fucking shocking, honestly. Yeah, this this void opens up in him. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I think I'll just read a little bit of it. Um, Please. On every side, the immense dark silence seemed pressing him, so tiny a spark, into extinction, and yet almost nothing. He could not be extinct. Night, in which everything was lost, went reaching out beyond stars and sun. Stars and sun, a few bright grains, went spinning round for terror, and holding each other in embrace, there in a darkness that outpassed them all, and left them tiny and daunted, so much in himself, infinitesimal, at the core a nothingness, and yet not nothing. Mother, he whimpered. Mother! She was the only thing that held him up, himself amid all this, and she was gone, intermingled herself. He wanted her to touch him, have him alongside with him. Yeah. But that's not where the book ends, because there's the final paragraph, and it says, But no, he would not give in. Turning sharply, he walked towards the city's gold phosphorescence. His fists were shut, his mouth set fast. He would not take that direction to the darkness, to follow her. He walked towards the faintly humming, glowing town, quickly. Yep. So what do you make of this ending? I'm not. I'm not even sure if this is directly related, but I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm thinking now. You. Um, you. You. You have to uh, believe in love, even if it's like a. Even if it's a fiction, it's like. Um, it's like. A, ugh, like God. I, what a pretentious. But um. No, no, please. By all means, yes, be pretentious. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. What's what's the uh, what's the word um, battle royale ends on in Japanese? Hashire. Yep, it's 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 that. It's, it's you gotta fucking you gotta fucking keep going. Uh, you gotta fucking run. Yeah, you gotta gotta fucking run. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> you you don't know what he's running towards. Um, maybe maybe he doesn't either. Uh, maybe he'll he'll keep doing his paintings. Um, there's a, there's a possibility his his last um his last encounter with Miriam is um very bitter. Um, it's it seems it seems like um. A part of her wants to completely give up on him, and she kind of sees him as a child. But then at the same time, her last thought you get is that eventually he will return to her. And you don't you don't really know if that's um if if that's like um if that's like a challenge he has to overcome, or if it's this like one little promise of an eventual love mm. that could come to pass. Um, you don't know if it's him returning to his mother through her, or if it's him finally encountering this person. Um, if, if it were to happen and you, you don't really need to know it's um, it's it's just the, the world and all of its complexity is, is there I completely agree it's very complicated um, and the idea of the gold phosphorescence really stuck out to me because it really seems to capture the whole spectrum of life in that one line alone because it is this one shimmering metallic mirage that is beautiful and soon to fade and will extinguish and like phosphorescence and light it will go out 
and there will be darkness and nothing else, and you'll be intermingled with all of the Earth's matter and everything beyond that. And what will it have meant? Uh, no telling. And is love real? No telling, but you are here, and that gold phosphorescence is in front of you, and all you can do is walk into it and bathe for the time being. And, Wonderful. You know, yeah. it's... It's hard. Love is fucking terrifying and doesn't work most of the time, it seems. And you spend your life in bitterness with people dying around you and um, feeling ill-fated by the consequences of your progenitor's actions. And it's all really fucking shitty most of the time. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's the void. Like, we're all just in the fucking void and you have to go into the fucking gold phosphorescence in the city. Yep. Well, those who don't fight won't survive. Here we go. To support the continuation of your favorite online experimental art audio project, please pledge $5 to I'm So Popular on patreon.com slash I'm So Popular. The bonus episodes of the show, the essential untucked continuation sirens, as well as access to the Discord and Chi-Chi's book club. じゃあまたね。どうぞ影を待とう。愛かいちよけんきゅう。この体を越し Oh, i